you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, sort of an intro to the new book series this morning, what's well, an old book but it's new to us as the sermon series. Um, just to give you a warning in advance, totally different genre in the scripture, so it's not quite as easy to follow as, say, the narrative of Ruth was. Uh, but without books like Hebrews, we would never understand the narrative of Ruth. So very, pay very careful attention because this is where we really learn who Jesus is. So let's start uh, at the beginning. Hear the word of the Lord. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that You would continue to help us to understand the revelation that has been given to us in Your Holy Word. We pray that you would give us insight and, and wisdom, uh, the wisdom that comes from heaven. We pray that you would give us uh, faith to receive the word as it was intended. And Lord, we pray that uh, most importantly we would see the, the main point of all revelation is to see the, the glorious work of God in the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see Christ with faith even this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, Brinkley's Law, perhaps you're not as familiar with that one. You're more familiar with Murphy's Law, I'm sure. But Brinkley's Law states that if there's any way something can be misunderstood by someone, somewhere, sometime, it will be misunderstood. Many American businesses have had to learn that the hard way when they tried to move into international markets. Uh, you know, many of you are familiar with the uh, uh, GM, when they tried to move the Nova into uh, the Spanish markets and got no-go, so it didn't make any sense. But uh, some of them were much worse than that. Uh, the now defunct Braniff Airlines was touting their leather seats back in the 1980s, and so they had a slogan that said, fly in leather. But when it was translated into the Spanish, uh, people understood them to say, fly naked instead. In the same way, in, in China, Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, slogan, uh, finger licking good uh, became in Chinese, eat your fingers off. And then finally in Taiwan, the Pepsi slogan, come alive with the Pepsi generation, was translated as Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the dead, which not only was creepy, but was a great offense to most Chinese and Taiwanese people. <laughs> One of my favorite songs is by Michael Card. It's called The Final Word and explains the importance of Jesus being the best and the final communication from God. In it, the lyrics go as follows. You and me, we use so very many clumsy words, the noise of what we often say is not worth being heard. But when the Father's wisdom wanted to communicate His love, He spoke it in one final perfect word. He spoke the incarnation, and so the Son was born. His final word was Jesus. He needed no other one. He spoke flesh and blood so he could bleed and make a way divine. And so was born the baby to make, to die, to make it mine. And that seems to be the main point of the whole book of Hebrews, but particularly the first few verses, 
to show us that Jesus is not only the final word, but a better word than that which was spoken by all the prophets in the past. And because he is the better and final word, we must listen to him. We must follow him. And we must hold on to his word more than any word that had ever been given before. But before we break down what that means for us today, it would be helpful to go a little bit in the background of, of how we got to the book of Hebrews and, and uh, what the words meant in the original context, which can be a little difficult to do given the fact that the, the book of Hebrews is, is quite different than most of the other epistles, uh, first and foremost because we don't know who wrote the letter. It's the only anonymous letter that we have in the New Testament. Uh, we also don't know to whom he was writing specifically, nor do we know uh, when he was writing this or even where the people were living who received this letter upon the first occasion. So there's a lot of uh, groundwork that has to be laid before we can get to understand the, the actual text itself. And uh, if you uh, take a class in seminary and you have to learn how to, well, what's this about and who wrote it and where is it? And they'll give you all sorts of theories and and uh, some of it can be figured out, but some of it's still left unknown, and which be, can be quite frustrating. But traditionally, this letter was attributed to the Apostle Paul and uh, from, from a very early time, but it was attributed to the Apostle Paul. But most scholars today don't think that he had anything to do with the letter at all, that he wasn't the author of the letter. And, and that mainly for two reasons. There, there are a number of other reasons that they give, but the two first reasons that, that are often given are because in every letter that the Apostle Paul writes, the very first word in the letter is what? Paul. <laughs> he makes sure that everyone knows that he is the one writing the letter. It's never anonymous. He never leaves it up to, to uh, chance to figure out who it is. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17, he states very plainly that every letter that he has written, he writes the greeting with his own hand to prove that it is a genuine letter from him and not from some false prophet trying to, prove, to, trying to say that he is the Apostle Paul. And then the second clue that also helps us to understand a little bit more about why this is not the Apostle Paul writing this is because of what he says, what the author says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. There, he says that salvation was declared first by the Lord and it was also attested to us by those who heard him speak. In other words, the writer of the epistle is putting himself in with the rest of the audience in the letter saying, we didn't hear this from Christ directly, but rather through someone else who witnessed these things. So the Apostle Paul, we know for sure, uh, was not one of the ones who had seen Christ in the flesh, but we do know that he had received a direct revelation from God. He did not receive the knowledge of salvation through men, but rather through Christ himself. He never would have said these words that the author of Hebrews is stating here. Nevertheless, the writer of Hebrews seems to be very familiar with the Apostle Paul and certainly with his circle of friends. Uh, for in, in chapter 13, verse 23, the author speaks of our brother Timothy having been released from prison and the author of the letter wanting to join Timothy in visiting with the people that are receiving this letter. And because of that, there are a number of theories that have been going around of, of, you know, maybe someone in Paul's close circle was the one who had written this letter. Many have suggested Luke, the, the doctor, and then others have suggested Apollo. But without having enough information, we just don't know for sure. But clearly, this is a man from God. He understood the gospel very well and is explaining it to the rest of those who are receiving this letter. Now, not only that, but we also don't know for sure to whom the man is writing. 
again, the traditional title attributed to this letter is to the Hebrews, but that wasn't originally given on the, uh, the, the first manuscript that was written. Nevertheless, there does seem to be a number of clues that help us to see that this was, in fact, written to a group of Jewish Christians, those who had come from a Jewish background, who had come to faith in Christ, who then were living in a particular locale, probably somewhere in Italy. And I say that because in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 24, um, the writer says, those who come from Italy send you their greetings. So it would make sense that those uh, people who are receiving this letter are very, very familiar with Italians because they're more likely also living in Italy themselves. Now again, the point of the passage, they had not seen Jesus personally. None of the people who were receiving this letter had seen Jesus in the flesh. So probably they're not uh, originally from Palestine or not living in Palestine at the time. But rather, now this group has suffered some type of persecution over the last few years. In fact, uh, there's sort of two rounds of persecution that they undergo. Uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and following, the writer uh, reminds them of the early sufferings that they faced because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So in other words, there was one round of persecution that had come upon them, and that round included insults, loss of work, and even imprisonment in some cases the first time that they had undergone persecution. But then he also talks about a new wave of persecution in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. And there he talks about something ramping up where he says, but yet you have not yet resisted to the point of what? Shedding your blood, right? So something is, is, is much more profound uh, in, in terms of tribulation and persecution that's taking place. Now, the good part about studying theology and history together is sometimes the two can help us understand what's going on in the other realm. Uh, in ancient history, for instance, the author of Hebrews describes this first wave of persecution. It sounds very similar to what the Christians living in the Jewish quarter of Rome were undergoing in the year 49 AD under the emperor Claudius. There was such a hubbub that was happening in the Jewish community because of Christus, that's how his name is pronounced, uh, but Christ, because of Christ, there's a hubbub to where the emperor has to send all the Jews out of Rome because he can't contain their hostility. Uh, that's the first round of persecution. And then the second wave we know from the emperor Nero in 64 AD is when all of a sudden Christians are being martyred for the sake of Christ, this time not being persecuted by the Jews, but rather by the Gentiles. And that's when we find out that even the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, Peter are put to death. And it's, it's in this context, seemingly, that these small group of Jewish Christians who are living somewhere either in Rome or outside of Rome, somewhere in Italy, are now beginning to suffer that same persecution themselves to the point where they're afraid, deeply afraid, to the point where they no longer even want to go to church because they're afraid to be associated with other Christians knowing that this is the type of persecution that they'll be facing. And so that's why that passage that we often mention about why we ought to go to church regularly from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that's why he says, do not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Not because they were simply bored with church, but because they were afraid to go to church because the persecution had broken out and they thought, what's going on? I might be losing my life here. To the point where some were even reconsidering whether or not they wanted to maintain a fellowship with the church at all. To the point where they were wanting to turn back from Christ and to turn 
toward some earlier form of Judaism. And that's why if you look at the book of Hebrews as a whole, you'll see a number of warning passages. If you remember, uh, those warning passages are constantly against apostatizing, turning away from Christ and back to some earlier form of the faith before Christ was revealed. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, not only is Jesus the most important part of Scripture, uh, without Him you will not have salvation. So he's warning them not to turn away from Christ. So to, to combat that temptation over and over and over again, the theme of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater than anything in the past. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the temple. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than the Aaronic priesthood. He's better than everything. And He's absolutely necessary for salvation. You cannot turn back from Jesus. And because of that, it's, I still think it's very applicable for us today as Christians, uh, not because most of us are tempted to turn toward some Judaism uh, in, in any form, but rather because even today I don't think we fully appreciate how important Jesus is to our faith. I mean, we, we say that He is, but just how important He is in every aspect of our faith, both in our salvation, but also in our sanctification. Everything is extremely Christocentric. There's no way of getting around it. Everything surrounds and is, is, is dependent upon Christ. Every day, we need Christ priestly intercession in order to grow in our faith in Christ. Every day we need to hear His prophetic word. Every day we need His provision and power and protection as this sovereign king of the universe. And that's basically where the author of Hebrews is going. He wants us to know those three things about Jesus being the prophet, priest, and king. Greater than any Old Testament prophet. Greater than any Old Testament priest. Greater than any Old Testament king. And we're going to focus on those as we go throughout uh, the book of Hebrews. But uh, I want to focus just on the, the first one this morning. The supremacy of Christ's Word over and above all the prophets. Now, if you look in, in verses 1 and 2, the anonymous writer opens his epistle this way, saying, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by the Son. The, the one thing that we know for sure from Scripture is that the God who made the heavens and the earth did not just make man and leave him to himself. Immediately, He spoke with him. Immediately, He communicated with him so that He could reveal something of Himself and His ways to man and certainly to woman as well. At first, before the nation of Israel existed, God directly communicated Himself to, to individual people. For instance, as you know, He spoke to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He also certainly spoke with Enoch, who walked with God and, and was no more. He spoke with Noah before He brought that great deluge upon the world. And certainly He also spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. All of these men He spoke with individually. All the patriarchs of Israel. But it's not until around the time of Moses that we see the official office of the prophet come to the forefront. It's not that Moses was necessarily the first prophet. In fact, Moses talks about there, there, there being others in that sense. But nevertheless, he is the first one that uh, is 
is in an official capacity as prophet. Even the Old Testament refers to Abraham as a prophet, but only on certain occasions. He wasn't constantly going around prophesying to other people on God's behalf. But that does seem to be the role of Moses. After he sees that fire in the burning bush, and God calls him to be his mouthpiece, uh, literally, the Scripture says that the Lord puts words in his mouth to speak to God's people on God's behalf. In fact, that's how Moses explains it to them, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 5. He explains why he was called to be a prophet in the first place. He says to them that when he had met with them at Mount Sinai, met with the Lord, he says, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the mountain. And so this simple man of the flesh stood as a mediator between God and men, communicating to them who God is and what he requires of them. But unlike the rest of the prophets who follow Moses, Moses has a very peculiar relationship with the Lord because the Lord speaks to him directly mouth to mouth is how it's written in Hebrew. Every other prophet who comes after him, that's very rare for that to ever happen, almost in every situation. Instead, uh, God is revealing himself in some unusual form through dreams, through visions, through angelic messengers, and through oracles, riddles, songs, all sorts of ways in which God in the past has, has, has manifested. But Moses was the only one he had spoken with mouth to mouth in that sense on a regular basis. Even Isaiah and Jeremiah, even though they're known for their their great prophetic roles, even they, uh, they're they're receiving these messages in very unusual ways and then delivering them in very unusual ways. He's not just communicating what God has said. Oftentimes they're even putting on these great symbols and signs to show what God is trying to say to the people at the time to the point where you even see instances where Isaiah is walking around the city of Jerusalem for three years naked. And Jeremiah is putting on some yoke uh, on his shoulders to show what the uh, how they're going to come under the slavery of the Babylonians and be under their yoke for a number of years. But even that communication, it's not very clear. It's not like it was with Moses. And so over 14 centuries, the Lord is raising up one prophet after another. Not at all times. There are times in which no prophets were speaking at all. Um, but certainly a, a faithful prophetic ministry throughout those years in which men were carried along by the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God unto men. Now here's the problem. The message of those prophets were fragmentary and incomplete. They never saw the full picture. Uh, They didn't receive all of God's revelation. Certainly they did not receive the full understanding of the gospel of salvation through the Messiah who was to come. Even what they saw at times was jumbled up together. They, they couldn't even understand the timing and what was going on and what they, what they were given in terms of revelation, in terms of dreams and visions. Uh, sometimes uh, I use the illustration, I think I'd gotten it a number of years ago, where if you, if you drive out west, to, you know, where they're like real mountains, you know, the really big, huge ones, <laughs> and you see them in the distance and you might see three mountains side by side, uh, seemingly, it's many, many, many miles in the, in, in the distance. But then when you actually get closer up to them, you realize that some are much, much farther away than others. And the problem is the prophets are seeing all the mountains like they're all right here, all together, when in fact they're much farther away 
in uh, different time periods. And even, even the meaning of it is jumbled up in their mind. They don't fully understand what they're conveying, but yet they're being faithful and conveying exactly what the Lord has told them to say. And so they don't fully understand it. In fact, uh, even in the New Testament, if you remember when Apollo begins to preach in the city of Ephesus, if you remember, uh, Priscilla and Aquila have to pull him aside and say, yeah, you, you, you got a good message from God here, but it's not the full message. You haven't understood the full picture. You haven't seen Jesus. You're missing the best part. You're missing the main part. And yet, he still hits all something uh, through his understanding of what had been revealed. In fact, uh, the Apostle Peter would later admit in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 12, that the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to come searched and inquired carefully into what person or time that the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating, but they didn't fully understand. They were uh, mediums, if you will. They were conveying uh, the medium of God's message to God's people, but they didn't fully understand even what they were saying. Now, God had only told them enough to help them understand, to lead them up to the next set of revelations. But now, the author of Hebrews is saying, a new day has dawned. It's not like that anymore. It's not jumbled up anymore. It's not hidden anymore. It's not mysterious anymore. It's been fully revealed in Jesus Christ. God's revelation has been fully given in His Son. Now, he says it in this way, in former days He spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son. Now, I know many people will think that we're living in the last days merely because things in America aren't going as well as they used to. Uh, that's not at all what the author of Hebrews is stating here. Rather, he's saying that the, the way the Jewish teachers used to explain it, that there was the current age, and then there's the age to come in which the Messiah is here. And the way the New Testament writers picture that same concept, they're saying those were the former days before Christ has come, but now we are in the latter days. We are in the latter age. This is the age of the Messiah. This is the age of Christ. And therefore, we ought to listen to what Christ has to say. Unlike all the prophets who had received this fragmentary and incomplete message from God, and, and, and they had only understood it with their finite minds, they're now compared with the Lord Jesus who has revealed the big picture the whole message of God and how it all centers upon Him. Jesus wasn't merely an inspired prophet of God. He is literally expiring the breath of God. He is showing us the very Word of God in the flesh. He's not just pointing to God's Word. He is God's Word. In fact, there's an interesting passage in John chapter 3 when the Jews are arguing over purification rites, and they go up to John the Baptist and they ask him whether or not he follows Christ and Christ's way. And, and John, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, says it this way. Um, he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. But then he contrasts that to Jesus' ministry. And he says, but he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, but he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. You see, the, the prophets 
could only speak what had been revealed to them from heaven to earth. They could only tell you what they had been told by God, but the difference is Jesus is not living on earth. Jesus is living in heaven, and he's constantly privy to what is going on in heaven. He knows all of it. He knows the whole story. He's with God. He's sitting with God. He is conveying to us the very mind of God. If you were to put together all the prophets and all of their prophecies through all the years, they still would not be able to compare with what we have in Jesus Christ. We have the full revelation of God in Christ Jesus. How could we dare say, well, let's go back and just listen to the old guys and forget Christ? It doesn't make any sense. Even though Moses spoke with the Lord mouth to mouth, he never really saw the Lord's face. But in John's Gospel, the Apostle points out that no one has ever seen God but God the only Son who is at the Father's side has made Him known. So not only does He know the Word of God, Jesus sees God face to face and reveals who He is to us fully. Without the cloud of mystery, He reveals to us God fully. In fact, that's one of the biggest differences between Jesus and Moses. If you remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and then after he had spent time talking with God, you remember his face was so bright that the people couldn't even look at him and so he had to put a, uh, a veil over his face to, uh, to, to cover the glory that was shining upon his face. Now you, you compare that with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. In that context, Jesus takes Peter, James, and, and John up to the mountaintop and and, and Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. And it, it doesn't just say that His face shone brightly, but His face shone as bright as the sun. And they couldn't look at it, of course. Uh, but then somehow uh, God also reveals to them Moses and Elijah standing over there, and now Jesus is talking with them. And of course, Peter wants to interject into their conversation and ask a few questions. And at that moment, immediately there's a voice that comes from heaven, and again, a bright light, and all the men fall to the ground in great fear. And here's what the Lord says to them. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. And then all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses are gone. And Jesus comes up and, and touches them and, and comforts them to let them know that they're not going to die. But then the whole point of that passage is to help even Peter, James, and John, good Jews, to understand that whatever Moses and Elijah meant for them, it's nothing in comparison to Christ. Nothing. If Moses somehow reflected the glory of God after spending 40 days with them on Mount Sinai and spending more time with them later on in, in the, the tabernacle of meeting, Jesus isn't reflecting the glory of God. He's emanating the glory of God. Like a sunbeam shooting out from the glory of the sun, Jesus is conveying the exact glory of God in heaven as you see it in the face of Jesus Christ. There's no comparison between Moses and Jesus in that regard. In fact, when, when the passage we read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says there'll be a, a, another prophet like unto Moses. He is like unto Moses in the fact that he speaks with him directly. 
not through visions and dreams, but there's a way in which Jesus is much more like God than he is like Moses. In fact, he is God. And that's the whole point we're going with the book of Hebrews to continue to show you this, that he is the exact imprint, the exact image of God emanating the glory of God. Why would you not listen to him? That's exactly what he says in verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He flashes forth the glory of God. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul would, would confirm this in his writings in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if there's any knowledge that can be revealed, it has been revealed fully in His Son. There's nowhere else that you need to turn. It has been revealed in Jesus Christ. If the prophet showed us something of the glory of God, Jesus shows us the fullness of the glory of God. It's, there's, again, no comparison. That's why the author of Hebrews pleads with his contemporaries not to turn away from Christ. He is the fullness of the revelation. It would make any sense for them to leave the brightness of the glory of God and then turn back to shadows. It makes no sense. But that's exactly what they're tempted to do. In fact, I'd liken the, the attempt by these uh, Jewish Christians to turn away from Christ and, and to go back into the Old Testament prophecies to, to a person trying to put together one of those, you know, 5,000 plus pieces of puzzle, you know, puzzle pieces. And they, they put all the pieces together and then they finally put the, the main part, they could see the big picture. And then all of a sudden they take out all the middle pieces and, and toss them aside and just leave the peripheral scenes and the edges. And then they put that and frame that on their wall. Can you imagine someone getting rid of the most important part of the puzzle, the most glorious part of the puzzle, the main image, the main point of the puzzle, and just keeping the peripheral edges? That's exactly what they're doing in trying to turn away from Christ. Now again, I know that most of you aren't tempted to revert to Judaism. At least if, if any of you have, no one has spoken with me about it. Um, I hope that's not the case. But surprisingly, there are still many in the church that are tempted to listen to some other prophet other than Jesus. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had to speak with people in every church I've served who are trying to listen to some new word from God from some other prophet other than Christ. Uh, certainly we see the, the, the big names of, of people throughout history. Uh, you know, pro, uh, a prophet comes on the scene like Muhammad. says, I'm another prophet after Christ. Listen to me. Or you think of Joseph Smith. Here's another testimony unto Christ. You've never heard it before. Listen to me. Or so many other false prophets that have arisen since then. There are many people in the church today that still are tempted to look toward those things. To seek another word from God rather than what has been revealed to us through the Scriptures. It's interesting, I, I once spent about, I think it was about 10 weeks with a Jehovah's Witness trying to share with him how Jesus is so important to every aspect of the Scripture. I mean, he just wanted to continue to show me one thing about Jehovah after another from some Old Testament passage that was still in the shadows. He didn't get it. He didn't see it. And I'm trying to help him understand it. But the reason why I'm trying to help him understand it is not simply because I'm trying to help a Jehovah's Witness, but because he was dating a girl in my congregation. 
whom he was leading away from Christ back into shadows. But not just into shadows, into lies. Because he didn't get it. He didn't fully understand it. And he was misleading her to some other prophecy through a Watchtower magazine or through some other book, through some perversion of the Bible. It's amazing to me how often that happens in the church. Remember what what God the Father said of Jesus from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And that's what we're called to do today as Christians. God has given us the fullest revelation in Jesus Christ and has not left it up to the whims of men to figure it out, has recorded it for us in His Holy Word. We even have, most of us have like five copies of that same Word of God in Christ Jesus in our hands, in our houses, and yet somehow that's not enough for people in the church. They're still looking for some other God, some other Word from God, some other prophetical voice to tell them who God is and what He wants from them. We have the final revelation in Jesus Christ. We have it written down for us. Why would we not read it, meditate upon it, memorize it, pray it to God, sing it back to God? But you can't just stop there. If the whole puzzle is about Christ, the whole revelation of God throughout Scripture, if it's all about Christ, everything has to be about Christ. Everything. Which means our lives. Everything about our lives is all about Christ. It's all to be about Christ. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said it this way as the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in the 19th century. He said, I, I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, meaning the church that he was serving, as long as it shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented, frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to avow myself as a Calvinist. <laughs> But if I'm asked, what is my creed, I reply, it is Jesus Christ. It is the creed and legacy to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God helping me, for Jesus Christ is the arm and substance of the gospel, who is in himself all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth, the all-glorious personal embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life. Indeed, Jesus is better than all the prophets, better than all and everything that has ever come prior to him, that anyone who wants to know who God is can only find God in the face of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have to go to the source, and that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews, to look to Jesus Christ, to see that he is greater and better and finer and higher than anything else. Why would we waste our time pursuing anything else knowing that Jesus is the all in all of God? So I hope uh, as we study this book together that we have the same passion for pursuing the knowledge of God in the face of Christ as the writer himself had. I hope that's uh, certainly my intention. I hope that that is our pursuit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we know that there are many things in the 
letter of Hebrews that uh, uh, may not immediately apply to what's going on in our lives at this very moment on this particular day, but the, the very theme of Jesus Christ being the full revelation of God, the shining face of God. Lord, help us to see how wonderful that is that we have that knowledge in Him. Help us to see how important that is for our, our lives on a daily basis. Help us to walk in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In Jesus we pray.